Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I'm your host for the Facts Roundtable podcast. I'm a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog. We're sitting down with Thomas Silvera, co-founder, president, and CEO of the Elijah Alavi Foundation. Thomas tragically lost a son to an anaphylactic reaction and has since become one of the strongest advocates in our community. But Thomas wears many hats, and we're going to learn more about how Thomas and his family are impacting our food allergy community today. So welcome, Thomas, to the show today. It is such an honor and pleasure to finally catch up with you. I know you're super busy, so I just want you to know how much I appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thank you. I am glad to be on here today with you. Well, I'm really looking forward to catching up and learning what's been going on. But before we start, can you share with our listeners your personal story about your son, Elijah? Well, um, I guess it's, it's always when I talk about him, you know, I feel the heaviness that weighs in my heart. So, you know, just to kind of like um, those who don't know, uh, November 3rd, 2017, my son, Elijah Alavi Silvera, was attending a daycare center in New York City, which we were noted that they were a place that do handle kids with food allergies, asthma, and so forth, and they were aware how to handle any situation that comes that comes up. So we were ecstatic and excited, and we enrolled him, and as any parent, we want them to to give the same care as we would as a food allergy parent while they're in their care. On November 3rd, one of the educators had given him something which he was severely allergic to, which was a grilled cheese sandwich. My son had supper anaphylactic shock. I was taken to the emergency room and later on had passed away. And that is uh, a grief that I, I will be living with with the rest of my life. But within this grief, my wife and I had took this instead of just kind of like uh, burying ourselves in our bed and not kind of like caring for what life has to give us. So we remember we still have another son, Sebastian, who has food allergies. And also we have to continue to move and be strong for my son, Elijah. So we kind of like still in our grief, we were able to take that trajectory of our life and put it into something more positive and impactful is by creating a foundation in his name, working in legislations, and also helping those who don't know, know, and also being a voice and an advocate for those who have food allergies and asthma. Thomas, your story, when it hit the news and it started spreading, it was just so profound. It touched so many people in the community. And I think so much of that is because of how you and Dina shared your grief with everyone and shared the situation. And it was just so powerful. The community just 
got right behind you. And as a result, you started the Elijah Alavi Foundation. And so can you explain to listeners what this foundation does and what you hope to see from it? We had no idea of how large the food allergy community was until our son had passed away. We were aware of some, like we said, we were looking to start an, an awareness education within schools because we knew in the community that we lived in, a lot of that was not accessible or given to the community for it is an underserved po- type population in the Black and Hispanic community. So we as African Americans and Latinx, something we wanted to give back. So the Elijah Levy Foundation is a foundation we created in my son Elijah's memory and to create a legacy to kind of like continue to, to be the voice and be his strength and be him moving forward into the underserved communities and also to anyone who needs the education and awareness. And our foundation, we go into organizations, schools, any facility that wants to understand the signs and symptoms of, of anaphylaxis and also asthma. So this is what our foundation does. It's not just about learning how to use an EpiPen. And I think a lot of people think that that's the end all be all. Yeah, we know how to use the EpiPen. We know how to take care of someone who has an allergic reaction. But there's more to it. It's about mitigating risk, how to look for allergen from even products that kids are working with in school, from the, the Play-Doh to the glues to the, the little pastas. You know, there's so much involved. It, it doesn't take just like five minutes to show you how to use an EpiPen. It, it can take a while for anyone to understand how to just mitigate the risk for food allergies and also mitigate triggers from any children suffering with asthma as well. So with that, so we partnered with this company called Belay. We did design an educational curriculum with them, which took us, it was extensive because we had to go through all the accrediting bodies in order for it to be accredited. With this accreditation, we can go into school, certify schools to be food allergy safe, certify the educators, with two-year certification on understanding the signs and symptoms of learn, knowing how to use an auto-injector. Um, we provide continuing education credits on top of that. And, yeah, the educational curriculum is about a 90-minute curriculum. We give you a pre-test and a post-test after that, and the post-test determines whether you become certified or not. And if you do not pass the exam, we do provide the exam again for that individual or school at no cost, which our foundation provided to the community at no cost. And that's something that we do going forward because it's like, we know a lot of daycares and schools that don't have the funding to provide for these type of services. So our nonprofit covers the cost. So it takes that burden away from them. We're proud to kind of like see our foundation move in this direction and actually go from where it was to where it is now and aligning ourselves with so many amazing, amazing people and industry leaders in this community. There's a lot about everyone in terms of their character and what they want to do, because we all have different stories, but we're all sharing that same message that we're all trying to find a cure. And for right now, since there is no cure, we have to teach everyone how to mitigate the risk and understand the signs and symptoms of food allergies and asthma triggers, just to kind of like, we want people to pick up their kids from school, you know, safely. That training is so critical and so powerful. So you mentioned it was accredited. So is that just in the state of New York it's accredited, or is this a national program? No, we have an international accreditation. We've been to school in Miami. We're actually going to L.A. We was going to be. So we can take this 
and train anyone anywhere in the United States and actually overseas if we want to as well. That's a big deal for us. Thank you so much for creating that. I'm actually a former trainer in my past life. Yes. And (laughs) so it was one thing that I always had this dream of, and I was so happy when I saw you doing this, is getting into those preschools, like start right at the very beginning, because then those children too will be educated secondarily. And those educators will take that and push that out. And it starts a whole lifetime of awareness. No, it actually does. What I've learned by going into a lot of schools, especially in New York City, we're trying to figure out where everyone was at in terms of understanding. And a lot of these daycare centers and some schools, they think they have the key. I was like, okay, so how do you, what type of education curriculum do you have? Oh, we were mat trained. Okay, so do you know this? Do you know what these are? Do you know what this is? And a lot of them don't understand that. And there's a lot of other educational things that they've tried via webinars, et cetera. But we know that when there's, a webinar base, and I'm not knocking webinars, it's good to get on a bigger scale, on a mass scale, but sometimes the information is not retained better that way. When you're face-to-face and actually doing something or you're physically looking at someone on a screen and you're interacting with them, the information is more attainable that way, opposed to just skipping through a webinar just for you to get the questions correctly. We don't want them to just get the answer correct and print out a certificate or whatever. We want to understand the risk, understand the signs and symptoms, understand how to act in the event of emergency, opposed to just getting that so you can bring it to your principal, your director, or your or your boss to say, hey, look, I got the certificate, I know what I'm talking about. And when it comes down to it, you actually don't. So education is, is critical in every place you go, from restaurants to museums, you name it, it has to be a staple that people understand. And I always mention that's like we have AED boxes in school, we have fire extinguishers in schools, we have first aid kits in schools. We only use them in the event of emergency, but there are barely any epinephrine stations, there are barely any educators who are trained in food allergies. There's a fire, we do fire drills monthly in the event of a fire, but there's no fire. The same thing goes with any type of emergency, especially anaphylaxis or someone suffering with asthma, we want to know how to handle that situation. So we need to take care of that as if it was a fire. In that type of urgency, we need to have these educators understand and be educated on food allergies. Well, you are like a superhuman. I don't know when you rest, but I have to say I so appreciate your work because you are absolutely saving lives. And especially with training, again, I'm a little biased with the training. So now I know you've expanded and now we have the Elijah's Echo Ambassador Program and it looks really exciting and really fun. I've seen all sorts of neat images all over social media. So can you explain what's going on there? Oh man, that is our baby. We actually have been talking about doing this for a while. And we were just trying to figure out a concept. Actually, we started thinking about it last September. And we were trying to think of a concept of how can we just gain the attention of individuals, especially young children, because children are the actually key to growing into understanding and knowing how to be advocates for themselves. So we decided to put together the Elijah Echo Ambassador Program. The Elijah Echo being the voice, you know, like my son didn't have, I want these children to have their own voice to be empowered, to be engaged, and, and just have that sense of security for themselves and knowing how to stick up for themselves 
in the event they see someone who's being bullied or someone who's going through an allergic reaction or themselves being triggered or also going through this type of reaction that they're able to speak up and use their voice. The ambassador program is for children from 3 to 12, and we're going to provide them with an ambassador box, which will have some, it will have like the ambassador swag, information on how to education, how to fundraise, how to be confident. There's so much that's going to be a part of this, and we wanted to scale it this way because we can reach more kids opposed to via social media by creating this and sending it out. We, we're trying to reach at least about a thousand kids by the end of the year with working with schools. We already have five schools signed up for the ambassador program, which is great. And we have over a hundred individuals that signed up for the ambassador program since we launched, which is good. It's a good step forward for us to actually see this. And it's all about, we just want to have these children to spread the word on food allergies and asthma, become Elijah's echo by just doing the important work in their home and their schools and their communities and share their own personal stories and advocate for others and create awareness and just have fun with it. Because a lot of, we take food allergies to be very serious and it is, and I'm not knocking that. But we want kids to understand that it is serious, but at the same time, they can be superheroes within themselves and have that strength to kind of like fight off the anaphylaxis, fight off any anything that people are trying to bring to them that could be a contaminant. We want these people, want these children and everyone to be empowered. And that's the key that we're looking for, just to create lasting and impactful change. And we're also working on the infant program. We will involve the parents to be, if they have a child who is early diagnosed with food allergies, would be involved as well. So we're working on that. We're actually, Dina's writing up something for that too launch it this week. It's fun. I love it. It's, our, it's one of our babies that we've been working on for a while, and we're just happy to see it in fruition and actually taking taking on this momentum, which we're grateful about. I know you've probably seen this. Peers of children are the strongest advocates. I mean, I have endless stories from my own children of being at school and their friends stopping them and saying, nope, you can't eat that, and just really advocating when the adults were maybe heading in one direction, and the children are like, no, mm -mm, nope, we're not going to the pizza parlor. If Joey can't have wheat and dairy, we're not going there. We're going to go get tacos. I mean, the kids are amazing. And so I'm just so excited about this program. It looks so joyful online. I love seeing it. And so now we should keep our eyes out for the infant program this week, you said? Yes. Yes, this week. We don't want to leave anyone out. We're looking at getting the dads involved. I'm working on a dad ambassador program. We need more dads to be out there. So I'm working on that, and Dina's working on with the moms and the babies. So this is something we want to do and just empower everyone. And that's what we need. We just need more empowerment and, and people to, to just share their voice and let it be impactful. Well, I'm very excited about this program and cannot wait to watch it grow. So now, if I recall right, we've just passed the year anniversary for Elijah's Law? Yes. June 2019 is when the Assembly and the Senate had passed the legislation, and September 12th was when Andrew Cuomo actually signed it into a law. I get chills every time I talk about it, because and emotional, because it's something we've been fighting for. I've always heard the story, a marathon, not a sprint, and I was like, but what happened to my son, I need this to be a sprint. So seeing this law pass the way it did, 
and having these mandates and having this into effect, it was something that was near and dear to Dina and I's heart and everyone who was involved actually helped us kind of like spearhead this and actually making it what it was and make it what it is today. And it being the very first in New York and the very first in the nation, it, it just shows a lot of precedence of how we can take this legislation to other states as well. And so can you explain for listeners what the legislation does? So with Elijah's law, it allows like access for every daycare to be stocked with epinephrine, for education for every adult that works in daycare to know the signs and symptoms of anaphylaxis, and to be able to treat children experiencing it. Just to make sure that children in every school and neighborhood, regardless of social economic conditions or class, that the parents are able to pick up their kids safely. Emergency action plans have to be designed for the schools. Educators have to be informed. Parents need to be informed. There's so much involved, and it's mandated. So you can't, it's not a voluntary guideline. It's something that's been put into place that has amended into the current anaphylactic policy, but the, the pre-K and under, which became a mandated legislation. So it changes how that legislation is looked, especially for children in daycare centers and pre-K. With this, it just it just helps re- kind of like helps with a lot of risk reduction in the classrooms, and and it gives these teachers ways to kind of like strategize how to be prepared when these protocols are put into action. The one thing with the legislation, although it has passed and it's been a year, what I, my findings are with any law that someone has passed a work you know, hard on that they help you and the law is passed, but it's now our responsibility to continue making that law aware to the educators and facilities that this law is in place so they can understand it. Because we think that once a law is passed that we don't need to do anything, we have to continually be engaging when it comes to a legislation that's passed, whether it's epinephrine being accessible to restaurants. A lot of restaurants don't look into these legislations. They're not given an email or anything about it. That is why it's our responsibility as advocates to continually addressing the information to our community about the legislation, especially when it comes to food allergies. Well, thank you, Thomas, for that explanation. And I have to tell you, it was kind of fun hearing Sebastian in the background there. I love hearing little voices since my voices of my children are too big now. But I completely can relate to what you're saying about the emotion. I was heavily involved in passing legislation here in Nevada, and there's just something that reaches deep into your soul because you know that this kind of legislation is going to save lives. But but you're right. Once it passes, that's when the hard work begins, really. I mean, yeah. and, and even though it is really hard to pass a bill, but now's the important time of people remembering it and people bringing it up and supporting it and getting everyone involved to really just continue carrying it. So I, I just admire you and everyone who got that law put into place and now who's working on it. It's just stunning. And I want to thank you for that. So now I want to switch gears for a moment. You are a member of FACT's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Advisory Board. So what are you hoping to see out of this board? We've had one meeting already and we're just getting going. Just a couple months ago when I basically call it when the poop hit the fan, not just on the pandemic, but on a big global issue that we've been faced with, which was you have systemic racism throughout the world. But here in America, there's a lot of it, especially it, it holds heavily in the black and Hispanic communities. 
So there was a lot of noise a couple months ago with all this and a lot of allies coming forward and wanting to be a part of the movement. But there's more than just being a part of a movement and just being the voice at the given time to make you look good. What I like about FACT, what they're doing is that they're continuing the voice and they're not allowing their voice to be suppressed either. So by having this, um, this team together and getting everyone to kind of like be on the same page and talk about a lot of the racial biases and everything that happens, especially in the community with a lot of the health disparities and health promotion that are, are not being dispersed into these communities. And I think with this conversation continue going, it will continue allowing the community to see that there are voices that still stand by them, standing strong alongside them, and is willing to fight for them. Being a part of this, it just shows that where FACT wants to be with their organization and by bringing on more people to be a part of this diversity group, it just says a lot about them. And, and it just shows the character and where they stand within the community. And there's one thing that I always I look for in when I'm a part of these organizations working on this, this type of diversity is a framework that having all these multi-sector partners kind of like building together and the organizations that are being developed, it's just, it must go beyond the specific needs than what we are just addressing through a conversation. We actually have to get into these communities and address these issues, opposed to just gathering quantitative or qualitative data and not actually physically being there and making it happen. There's a whole certain strategy and multifaceted, multi-layer initiative that should be expected to bring to these communities. And there needs to be a more in-depth statistical analysis and technological resource just to better evaluate the underserved communities for the Black and Hispanics. So with allowing this to be brought into the communities, and I, I express this with other organizations, if we focus on these underserved community and focus on the health disparities and bring health promotion, we can see the improvement become better by being a part of it instead of just talking about it. That is it exactly. There is such a difference between talking about it and just actually doing it. And I have to say, I just feel so honored and so lucky to be a part of FACT because we have been doing a lot of work on this topic in this area and learning how to reach out stronger and better to all of these communities. And it's just amazing because it just keeps going forward and we're starting to see change and it's just phenomenal. I'm fortunate to be a part of it because having the diversity and the inclusion I think it's, it's all about people and it's all about bringing systemic change for the better. And I always said this, and I said this before, change is a challenge. Without the challenge, they won't be changed. Going in that direction and going through these obstacles of these challenges, we can start seeing change. And fact is on the right track of doing that. Thank you. And very well said. So just to wind up now, is there anything else you would like listeners to hear today of what you're up to or what you would love people to do? What I can give my listeners, if you have a child, if you're a new mom with a child with food allergies who is newly diagnosed at a very young age, or you're, you have a child from the age of 3 to 12, go to the Elijah Ali Foundation page look up our ambassador program and sign up. It's that easy. There's no cost to you. We provide you with all the information that is needed to create your own voice, 
be an advocate, show you how to fundraise, and so much more. We provide you with educational materials. It's fun. It's about just being you and being that superhero you are. And also, another thing, we are about to come out with a children's book. And oh, wow. Yeah, so it's in the illustration process. We have, uh, so we're almost done with that. And that's an announcement we'll be making probably the next couple of weeks. We're hoping to launch it, to pre-launch it in October. We actually wrote the book back in 2018, but it was difficult because it was still fresh. Everything is still fresh in our mind today, but it was difficult to write the book. And this year, actually, we both finished writing the children's book. We have an amazing friend who is illustrating the book for us, and you know, we're just happy to actually see it. It's one of five books that we are working on, <laughs> a children's book. You really are tireless, one of five. <laughs> yeah, we're ready. The second one is the second book is almost done, the writing of it. And something we want to give kids to be more engaged. It's, it's a very beautiful book. It speaks of our family, about the life of our kids. Fun is enjoyable and, and, it's, and it's loving. And I think when you get a chance to read the book, you will not only just enjoy it, but you will feel the love that our family has. It will connect you to us. That is so beautiful, Thomas. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're just wicked busy. There are so many initiatives taking place and you're absolutely changing the world and saving lives. And thank you so much for that. But thank you again for being here today. Uh, thank you for having me, Karen. I, I am grateful and so thankful to you and to FACT and for everyone who's just been by our family's side since day one. And you guys have not stopped and we are not stopping either. And we are so humbled by it all. No, the goal is to get over the finish line together holding hands. So we're there with Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening to FACT's Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, share, and review our podcast, and be sure to connect with us on social media. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Have a great day, and always be kind to one another.